Yesterday, ladies and gentlemen, we got to see the greatest athlete of our time in competition and go for an unbelievable record that he had not yet slain. He had sl- he has slain almost 55 record 55 world records across 55 different sports or uh, disciplines if you will. And yesterday he had another shot to become a champion again. Who do you think I'm talking about? You think I'm talking about Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan dreams of being this man, of being this guy. Who the hell else do you think I'm talking about? You think I'm talking about you think I'm talking about Joe DiMaggio? 42 is that right? 42 game, no, 52, 52 game hit streak, 56 game hit streak. Man, I don't remember any of this. 56 game hit streak. <laughs> That's what this guy says to a 56 game hit streak. How about, uh, what about uh, one of the great winners of our time? A guy by the name of uh, Steve Kerr. Okay. He's won like 33% of the NBA championships in the history of the NBA or something ridiculous like that. Steve Kerr, he wants to be. This man. And the man I'm talking about, of course, it was Independence Day on Monday, of course. You know, uh, Independence Day, blah, 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 blah. You know, everybody loves it. Everybody loves it. Fireworks. It's all whole shebang. It's a lot of fun. You know, we get to live in the USA because of Independence Day. But that's not, you know, I don't wake up in the morning thinking about fireworks or Independence Day. No, 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 no. I wake up in the morning thinking about Nathan's hot dog eating contest. And it was the 92nd, or excuse me, not the 92nd. This man won his first one in the 92nd annual Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. But in 2022, he won his 15th. He won it. He has won it 15 out of the last 16 years. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, the man I am talking about is Joey Jaws Chestnut. The man, the myth, the legend. He downed, he ate 75 hot dogs with buns. Back in 2021, or excuse me, in 2020, breaking his world record of 74 that he accomplished back in 2018. And this season was a little bit slower, okay? Wasn't as great. Still won the competition. He consumed 63 hot dogs with buns, winning his 15th Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest championship. The greatest winner of our time. Tom Brady scoffs when he thinks about Joey Chestnut and scoffs in the way of, I'm never going to catch that guy because he's not. Joey Chestnut's going to do this until he dies and probably inevitably dies on that stage, but he'll go out a champion. Not to mention, he won his 15th eating 63 hot dogs on a ruptured tendon in his leg. It was his flu game, ladies and gentlemen. Jordan had his flu game. Joey Chestnut ate with a ruptured tendon in his leg. 63 hot dogs with buns. Not to mention, he also took down a protester that went up on stage and like put a put a sign up in front of him. Joey Chestnut gave, gave him the old triangle choke and brought him down. He said, not today, son. This is my day. While eating a hot dog in his mouth. Like he had like two hot dogs in his mouth. He took the guy down and brought him down. It was incredible. It was a great day to be Joey Chestnut. A truly an American feat. One of the greatest winners of American history. Joey Chestnut gets his 15th world title at the uh, Nathan's all American the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. His 15th championship. He has uh, 55 other world records from what I'm looking at, which is absolutely insane. And not only in hot dogs, in other foods. This guy is a walking vacuum cleaner. He's had records for chicken wings, long-form chicken wings, pulled pork sandwiches, tacos at Taco Bell, (laughs) meat pies, eggs, asparagus for some reason, pork ribs. He ate 20 
28-ounce corned beef sandwiches. I love myself a Reuben. Like, don't get me wrong. That's probably my favorite sandwich in the world. But 28-ounce corned beef sandwiches? Imagine eating 20 corned beef Reubens. The man's a hero, ladies and gentlemen. He is a national treasure. He's an American hero. He's won it with pepperoni rolls, jalapeno poppers, 118 jalapeno poppers back in 2006, fish tacos, 36-ounce fish, 36 ounce fish tacos back in 2014. He's had 5.9 pounds of funnel cake, a, wec- a record as well. A 23 six-inch, excuse me, six-foot, is this six, no, six-inch, I don't know how to read those, six-inch Philly cheesesteaks back in May 14th. 2011 he had uh pulled pork sliders he has a, a record in. it's truly incredible he did it 63 didn't break his own record but again playing on a rupture tendon whoever was uh doing the hot dogs should have taken the under that was me i was gonna do i was gonna take the under but uh I, I paused because i was like i don't know anything about this competition and i'm betting against the goat which i would never ever do that um and and uh, there we go. And he, he's done it again. In 2021, by the way, he ate 76 hot dogs with buns, beating his record from 2020 of 75. So the 76 is the world record as of right now. He consumed 63, but again, it was his flu game. Uh, he had a ruptured tendon in his leg. He came out of the car and everything. He was on crutches. He had a boot on. It was incredible. It was it was an unbelievable walk up. And he downed, downed 63 hot dogs with buns at like noon. I wonder what happens to him afterwards. I cannot imagine the day that he has after doing that. I, I really am curious to see, like kind of go through his day, day by day or his hour by hour following eating 63 hot dogs or 76, depending on the year, um, what it's like to follow him around after that. Like, is he just like, like is every step like a, a painful step for him? I, I cannot imagine that, but he does. He's a champion. Nonetheless, you know, sometimes champions have to sacrifice and he is a champion and he did, he's sacrificing the rest of his day, probably the the rest of his week. I can't imagine, I can't imagine this dude likes hot dogs anymore. Like I can't imagine this dude goes to like a baseball game on a regular day and wants to eat a hot dog. That's probably like not, that's probably a pain to him. I can't imagine, I can't imagine. So he just holds it all in until the July 4th. And he says, I'm going to eat as many as I'm going to eat more hot dogs than most human beings eat in a single year in one in 10 minutes. That's what I'm going to do. And uh, this year he did it on a ruptured tenant and he captured his 15th world title. Congrats to Joey Chestnut, Joey Jaws Chestnut, the man, the myth, the legend, the American hero on his 15th world championship. Congrats to him. Welcome to the weekend sports wrap podcast, by the way, that was a bit of a cold open, if you will, um, today. Mainly talking about baseball today, I'll be honest with you. We'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the um, some of the, uh, the conference shakeups that we're getting across uh, college sports. Mainly football, I think, is kind of the driving factor around it. But it's happening around the rest of the sports. You know, the other sports are going to be affected by it as well. So we'll talk a little bit about that because that's that's been the uh, the big uh, the big the big story of the past week or so, given some of the headlines that we've gotten from that. So we'll talk about that, but mainly we're going to talk about some baseball because we are hitting basically the exact halfway point as of uh, yesterday, give or take for a few teams, uh, because uh, game 81 happened yesterday for a few teams. And uh, we're going to talk about some of their, uh, some of their leaders, some of the stats, some of the the best teams are going to break down the records for uh, the the leading teams and things like that. So we're going to get into all that. And then uh, I'll give you odds for the MVP and stuff like that. And then we'll talk about uh, all-star voting because that's coming up as well. That's coming up in about two weeks. So uh, we'll talk about all that stuff 
mainly baseball oriented today. So sit in, get ready to go. It's baseball time. So first things first, the standings. As we sit right now, it is Tuesday, July 5th, day after 4th of July. A couple teams played yesterday. I think the Yankees were off on 4th of July, which I don't remember the last time that happened. But almost everybody else played on 4th of July. Um, and as it stands right now, Yankees, best lead, or best uh, best record in the MLB right now, they're 58 and 22, leading the AL East very substantially. They have a 13 game lead uh, ahead of the Red Sox, who are in second place. They're 45 and 35. And then the Blue Jays are sitting there at 44 and 37. A little disappointing this year for the Blue Jays. They've battled some injuries. Their offense hasn't been that great, and their pitching has been a little bit uh, suspect at times. Even though they have a guy like Kevin Gosman on their team, who has been, uh, according to War, wins above replacement, the best pitcher in the league but you know that's kind of an argument that you can go uh you can go multiple ways with uh the blue jays like third place 44 and 37 they're 14 and a half back of the yankees the rays are 43 and 37 15 games back of the yankees as well and then the orioles they're 37 and 44 21 and a half games back now orioles not a good team by any means they're not going to win the division they're not going to get into the wild card i don't think from here i mean 37 and 44 still you know not far away from 500 but AL East, arguably the hardest, uh, the hardest division in the MLB. But the Orioles, thirty-seven and forty-four, is definitely a step up from where we've seen the Orioles in the past few few years. And just this past month, I believe it was the month of June, they had their first um, above five hundred month since I think twenty seventeen, if I remember correctly. If that if that's the stat I remember reading, it was either 2017 or twenty eighteen. Uh, their first five hundred month since 2017 or 2018 so four to five years was the last time they had an above 500 month so orioles you know last place right now but maybe on the uptrend so who knows Orioles? they got they got decent prospects they're not going to be bad forever that's just not how baseball works especially with um the way you know the cap system works in baseball where you can kind of do whatever you want there's not really a, a, a cap or anything like that so they have the prospects to do it. They, you know, if people start dishing out money, they can have the they can have the players to do it, just to get back into that spot. And Baltimore's fan base, they have a strong fan base. Not a lot of people go to those games right now, obviously. And I've talked about this before, but they've got a they've got a decent grouping of fans there, which I appreciate. You know, Baltimore, there's not a lot of them there. Like I said, just because I mean they're not a good team. They haven't been for a very long time. Not a very long time. More like ten years, give or take. And uh, but once they start getting good again, it'll be good to see fans in Baltimore actually going to those games because they got a pretty they got a great ballpark. And uh, seeing that seeing uh, those game Baltimore games, you know, in prime time or something like that would be a lot nicer to see just because they got a great ballpark and they got a good grouping of fans. So it'll be cool to see once they start uh, getting their prospects up and uh, you know those prospects start panning out. Adley Rutschman behind the plate, a couple other pitching prospects and stuff. Hopefully we see a better Orioles team, and that I don't think is too far in the future. So that's the AL East over in the AL Central. It's a little bit a little bit closer. The Minnesota Twins lead the division right now. They're 46-37. and 37. Uh, The Guardians are right behind them. The Cleveland Guardians are right behind them, 40-38. and 38. They're three and a half games back. The White Sox are behind the Guardians. Also a pretty disappointing season so far for the, Guardi- or for the White Sox. They're 38-40, and 40, five and a half games back. Um of the uh, twins in first place, the Tigers are in fourth. They're 32 and 47, 12 games back. And then the Royals are in last 29 and 49 record, 14 and a half games back there. Uh, White Sox, they have been disappointing. They've been dealing with injuries. Um, uh, Lance Lynn has been out. Eloy Jimenez has been out. Tim Anderson has been off and on. Luis Robert has also been 
an issue. Lucas Giolito has been an issue, and Yohan Makata have been uh, off and on as well. So the snake, uh, the uh, the injury bug has bitten the White Sox so far this season. And, you know, we'll see what happens with them. If they get back into full strength, they're still probably one of the deepest teams in the league uh, in terms of lineup. So if they do get back to full strength, full strength if they really start uh, getting better in terms of uh, just kind of putting it all together, then that team can kind of make a run, especially with the AL Central not being the strongest division in uh, in the league, uh, with the Twins being 46 and 37 at the top. So White Sox can definitely make a run. They're only five and a half games back. If they get people back, uh, the pitching starts doing a little better. The offense starts picking up a little bit more than, uh, then yeah, I, I don't expect the, Whites, or the White Sox to really be missing out all that much. Moving over to the AL West. It's a runaway, ladies and gentlemen. The AL West is kind of similar to how it's looked the past five to seven years with the Astros dominating. They're 52 and 27. Uh, the Mariners are in second place. They're 40 and 42, and they're 13 and a half games back. Rangers are 37 and 41, 14 and a half games back. The Angels, unfortunately, 37 and 44. They're 16 games back. And the Angels, the worst, one of the worst records in the league, worst record in, in, in accordance to losses. They're 27 and 55, most losses in the league, and they're 26 and a half games back. And they're pretty much, you know, it's the A's. They're basically ready for the draft in next season. Um, Astros. They're probably the, I mean, based on record, obviously they're, they're probably, they're the second best team in the league, obviously based on record Yankees still first team in the league, 58 and 22 Astros are 52 and 27. And that's what it looks like. It's going to pan out in the AL. I mean, there's no reason to really believe that the Yankees and the Astros aren't going to meet in the ALCS, but it is baseball. Baseball's funky. Uh, Baseball's weird. AL teams, you know, the the that the Dodgers a few years ago when they were taking on the Nationals, it felt like that Dodgers team was one of the best teams we've ever seen and they lost in 5 games to the uh to the Nationals and the and the NLDS and the Nationals went on to win the uh, the whole thing. So, who knows? But both the Yankees and the Astros are probably the favorites to go to the ALCS, I would say, to kind of claim that American League title, if you will. They're both very good and they're both kind of doing it in very similar ways. Yankees and the Astros both doing it based on their pitching off the backs of their pitching. If you will, their offenses haven't been stellar by any means They kind of are attuned and um, work through the three true outcomes version of baseball, if that makes sense. Um, but their pitching has been stellar on both sides. The, uh, the Yankees pitching, they're leading the league in average, lead the league in whip. Um, they're top five in strikeouts per nine hits per nine home runs per nine allowed, and then walks per nine, and their strikeout-to-walk ratio is also in the top three as well. And um, very solid pitching, rotation as well, bullpen as well. And then um, their offense, not as good, like I was saying. 238 average, that's 20th in the league, not very good. Uh, runs per game, second, so they still get a decent amount of runs. They're 5.04 runs per game, 7.83 hits per game, that's 23rd. 1.66 hits uh, home runs per game, that's first, obviously. Uh, they don't hit for a lot of doubles or anything like that. Like I said, the the three two true outcome outcomes type of um, ideal. That's kind of what they go with. One point three zero doubles per game. That's twenty eighth. Four point seven six RBIs per game. That's second. Walks per game. They lead the league in three point eight one, and they don't strike out a whole lot. Eight point two six per game. That's twelfth in the league. So very solid team. They're holding uh, holding their own on uh, based on pitching and. Um, Houston's kind of following the same the same route, if you will. They're pitching uh, they're pitching statistics. They're top three in uh, earned run average, earned run earned runs against per game, WHIP, 
uh, strikeouts per game, per nine. They're 8.91. That's 10th in league, but they lead the league in hits per nine allowed, which is 6.97. And uh, home runs per nine are giving up a 0.89 home runs per nine. That's fourth. And uh, walks per nine is 2.92. That's eighth. So it's two, two very solid pitching staffs uh, on their offense. 240 batting average. That's 16th. Uh, 4.43 runs per game. That's 14th. 7.95 hits per game. That's 18th. 1.44 home runs per game. That's third. And then uh, 3.53 walks per game. That's fifth. And uh, 7.47 strikeouts per game. That is third. So two very similar teams. Two teams that we expect to probably see in the uh, in the ALCS and meet in the AL playoffs. I would not be surprised if they both saw each other in the ALCS, though, just because they have looked far and away as the two best teams in the AL basically all season long. So that's my thoughts on the AL. Moving over to the NL East. Mets, two New York teams, they're doing it, and they're doing it well. How often do you see that? Mets, they're 50-30. and 30. They got a three-and-a-half game lead over the Braves right now. They're 47-34. and 34. Uh, Phillies 42 and 38. They're eight games back. They just lost Bryce Harper as well to an injured thumb. He's going to be out for an extended amount of time. No timetable on his return. That's a huge loss for the Phillies, and they're in third place already. That's a problem. Uh, eight games back at 42 and 38. Marlins are 38 and 40. They're 11 games back, and the Nationals are 29 and 53. 22 games back. Uh, over to the NL Central. Brewers are 47 and 35. Leading the way, the Cardinals are right behind, 44 and 38. They're three games back, and then there's a big old gap between second and third place. Pirates in third place. The Pirates in third place. In third place. How often have we said that recently? In 30, they're 32 and 47, 13 and a half games back. Cubs are 32 and 48. They're 14 games back. And then the Reds are 27 and 52 in last place in the NL Central at 18 and a half games back as well. So it looks like it's going to be the Brewers and the Cardinals. Brewers obviously doing it off their insane pitching staff. They're still missing. A couple pieces in their lineup, I would say, if they really want to compete in um, against a couple of teams in the, uh, I mean, in the AL, if they really want to compete with a team in like in the the Dodgers, even um, they're gonna they're missing a couple pieces in that lineup. I would say a popper. They don't really have a guy that can really they can really count on to get them out of a out of a jam with a couple RBIs or something like that. Used to be Yelich, obviously. That used to be their go-to guy coming off, you know, an MVP season a few years ago, but he's not really that dude anymore. Hasn't been for a while. And uh they're kind of missing that dude, that that type of player on their uh on their roster in terms of hitting. Um over to the NL West now. Dodgers, they're 50 and 29, lead the NL West, who would have thought? Padres are 47 and 35. They're four and a half games back in second place. Kind of Holding their own without Fernando Tatis Jr. Giants are 40 and 38. They're in third place, nine and a half games back. D backs are 36 and 44, 14 and a half games back. And the Rockies, the lowly Rockies, 35 and 45. They are 15 and a half games back. Rockies, I'm going to get local here for my national listeners. The Rockies kind of feel like they are. I mean, they're not the worst team in the league by any means. You know, I'm not saying that, obviously. I mean, just based on the record, they're not the worst team in the league. They still have a very solid offense, but they also play at Coors. That always is something that you kind of have to pay attention to. Um, but they're not the worst team in the league by any stretch of the imagination. Their pitching still isn't exceptional or anything like that. But I would say that I would say that I have more faith in a team like the Baltimore Orioles right now down the road than I do the Colorado Rockies. The Orioles, you can kind of, you see a vision forming, if that makes sense. 
Um, they have a ton of really decent prospects. Adley Rutschman, obviously, he's not, you know, not having a great season so far as a rookie behind the plate. But I mean, that should really that should really uh, even itself out with how good he is. Uh, two fifteen average right now with the Orioles, two eighty two on base percentage and a three ninety two slugging. That's not very good, obviously. But I mean, other than that, and it should, like I said, it should even himself out. He's a good player. He should be a good player. A switch hitting catcher is not something you come across very often either. And if he can really pull it together on both sides of the plate, that's going to be impressive. Um, their second guy on their list, uh, Grayson Rodriguez. He's a right-handed pitcher. He's in AAA right now. He's expected to be up in the league in 2022. He's 22 years old. He's been very solid for them uh, in AAA. He's got a 2.09 ERA. He's got 11 games started. He's a... Uh, uh, an opponent average of 168, a whip of 0.84, and only given up one home run. So he's been very good for them. Another guy, Gunnar Henderson, a shortstop and a third baseman who's in AAA, also expected to be up in 2023. He's hitting 300 uh, for two te- two different teams this year, a 432 on base percentage, a 551 slugging. So not something, you know, not a guy or and these three prospects that we're looking at that we just named aren't guys that are really like they're not struggling down in the uh, in the lower the lower levels of the MLB, and I'm not saying the Rockies players are or anything like that, but the Orioles have a vision. It it appears to me, okay, they're getting a bunch of prospects, and if even three of those prospects pan out, if those three that I just said, that's a solid team. Gunnar Henderson, shortstop slash third base, Grayson Rodriguez is going to be a solid right-handed pitcher, given what we've seen, and Adley Rushman, hopefully, can kind of turn it around in the MLB so far and kind of jump up to be that guy as a. Uh, Switch hitting catcher. That would be incredible. And uh, yeah, they just, they look like they have more of a vision than the Rockies do. And the Rockies, looking at their prospects, they have good prospects, but they're still a long ways out. Zach Veen, an outfielder, he's their number one prospect right now. He's playing in high A ball. I mean, a, a plus ball, a high A ball. They expect him in 2023, but he's only 20 years old. Drew Romo, catcher, he's also only playing in high A ball. He's expected in 2024. Ezekiel Tovar, We've seen him a little bit, but he's down in double-A, playing and uh, expecting him in 2023. He's only 20 years old. Benny Montgomery, an outfielder, he's still playing in rookie ball. We expect him in 2025. And, um, yeah, they just have the Orioles are more confident in their vision, especially with the signing the Rockies did for um, Chris Bryant this past year. They made, and I'm not the only one, it made no sense to anybody that watches the game that uh, you know kind of has a grasp on what's going on in the game. Chris Bryant was coming off a very solid year with the Giants, but he's also getting older, and you signed him to a seven-year, $182 million contract. It doesn't make any sense, and it doesn't make any sense to anybody else that is watching. It felt purely like something that is going to get people in seats, and I granted, I get that. If you're an owner, you have to have people in seats in order to you know make money as a team owner. That makes sense. I totally understand that, but... If you're going to sign somebody for seven years, $182 million, that's towards, I would say, the latter half of his career. He's past his prime, in my opinion. You have to be able to justify it with the prospects that you put around him that show progress. Now, C.J. Crone, granted, has been a great find for the Rockies. He's been a great player. He looks like he's going to shore up that first base for a long time, at least for as long as the Rockies can hold on to him. And um, he's been the best first baseman for that team since... Todd Helton left, I would argue. Granted, that good player. Not going to argue there. He's been very good for them. But who else do they have? Jose Iglesias over short. That's not your guy. Charlie Blackman, also aging out. Not, not, not your guy. Randall Gritchick, 
He's been decent. Not your guy. Connor Joe, that's another name. Probably pretty good, but I don't know where you're going to put him. He doesn't exactly have the fielding attributes to really be a solid left fielder. I can't blame it first with Crone there. If you have Chris Ryan on a seven-year contract, he's not moving out of uh, out of uh, third base. You can put him at DH, I guess, if you want to do that. And that makes sense. You're going to end up, you're gonna have to pick one of them. So it doesn't make any sense. They don't have, other than Crone, they don't have, uh, other than Crone, the prospects that you surround a guy like Chris Bryant with. Because Chris Bryant, even though it doesn't feel that long ago, we were watching him win MVPs and rookies of the, Rookie of the Year and stuff. He's more of a veteran now. He's closer to 30 than he is 20 because that's because he is 30. He's 30 years old. He's a, he's a veteran in this league now. And if you're going to win in this game, you have to be able to field young talent, young potential around solid veterans in this league. That is how you win in this game. And it, that's how it's going to be. I mean, the, look at the, the Yankees learned this lesson. What was it? 10 years ago when they started, they, they did the, the Steinbrenner special when they signed, a bunch of old names, Teixeira, I mean, he was already with them, but Teixeira was one of them. They signed a bunch of other older names. I mean, Jeter played on that team until he was 45 years old, it felt like. Posada played on that team until he was 45 years old. They signed guys like Chase Headley. Uh, I believe Adrian Gonzalez played. No, that's not right. I'm thinking of somebody else. Regardless, they signed a bunch of older guys to try to build a, a super team of people past their prime, and it totally kerplunked, and it flatted out, and it was not good. And you know what happened? They got rid of all those guys, traded them all away for prospects, and that's how you got Judge Glaber Torres, even though Glaber Torres isn't really, you know, incredible or anything like that. But he's a solid player. Glaber Torres, Gary Sanchez for as long as he was there, Miguel Andujar, who's probably going to be a trade piece. But they're solid players, and they still have people coming up. Anthony Volpa, who's very good for the Yankees in their in their minor league system. Oswaldo Perez, um, Oswaldo Peraza, excuse me, he's going to be very good for them as well. Uh, should be very good for them. Also, another name that's very uh, in their in their uh, in their list as well. So, you know, they have a vision for the future. Uh, the Orioles do. I'm just comparing the Orioles and the Rockies. Whereas the Rockies, I'm struggling to see it. If that makes sense. Um, Sign Bryant didn't make any sense to anybody. There's not a cap or anything like that in in baseball, but spending $182 million over seven years is going to really tamper your prospects of people who are going to be able to actually come and help this team in terms of young stars or something like that that are leaving their other teams to come and play. That $182 million contract is going to be a big one that kind of sticks out like a store, a sore thumb for the owner wanting to make other signings down the road. That's what I would say. So, Rockies, Rockies fans, I don't, I wouldn't hold out hope. To be honest with you, feels like it's a long ways away from being uh, contenders again, being that 2007 team again. That feels like a long ways away. Um, but you know, who knows? Maybe they can get rid of, uh, you know. And I don't want to blame it all on Bryant, but Bryant was just a head scratcher. It didn't make any sense to me or anybody else why they why they signed him with the amount of money that they did. It didn't make any sense to those people. Um, but for some reason, it made sense to them, and the rest of us is left are, are left scratching our head, and that's kind of how it goes. So, we'll see what happens, Rockies fans. I'm 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 hoping for you. It'd be fun to have a good baseball team around the you know Midwest area, like it is fun to have a, a good Denver Broncos team around the Midwest area. Um, but it doesn't feel like it's coming anytime soon. So, got that going for you, which is nice. 
but that's uh, that's kind of a look at the uh, the MLB towards the halfway point. Still, you know, still have the All Star break coming up. That's not too far away. We're gonna get to the voters there. They got past phase one, and phase one is when in All Star voting, when you can kind of vote for whoever you want. You know, you're just putting votes down on random people. Phase one is over, so now we're in phase two, and phase two is more um, focused. It's two players from each position that were the leading vote getters in their position for each league, and they're the ones that uh, get voted on as you start from zero. So at catcher in the American League, it's Alejandro Kirk from the Blue Jays, Jose Trevino of the Yankees at first base, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the Blue Jays, Ty France from the Mariners, second base, Jose Altuve from the Astros, Santiago Espinal from the Blue Jays, uh, third base, Jose Ramirez from the Guardians, Rafael Devers from the Red Sox, Shortstop, it's Bo Bichette of the Blue Jays and Tim Anderson of the White Sox. And then the outfield, Mike Trout of the Angels, George Springer of the Blue Jays, Giancarlo Stanton of the Yankees, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. of the Blue Jays. And then then designated hitter, Jordan Alvarez of the Astros and Shohei Otani of the Angels. I will say... um, Really quickly, the ju- uh, Aaron Judge and Ronald Acuna were the leading vote getters of Phase One, and that means they automatically get a spot in the team. So that's why their name isn't on this list right now because they're not getting voted on anymore because they're already on. They've already made the team, so that's why their name wasn't on there. Um, in the National League, catcher Wilson Contreras of the Cubs, Travis Darno of the Braves, first base Paul Goldschmidt of the uh, Cardinals, Pete Alonso of the Mets, second base Ozzy Albies of the Braves, Jazz Chisholm of the. Uh, of the Marlins and then third base Manny Machado of the Padres Nolan Arenado of the Cardinals shortstop Trey Turner of the Dodgers Dansby Swanson of the Braves and then the outfield Mookie Betts of the Dodgers Jock Peterson of the Giants Starling Marte of the Mets Adam Duvall of the Braves and then designated hitter Bryce Harper of the Phillies William Contreras of the Braves Bryce Harper not gonna be able to play in this game because he is hurt like I was saying earlier messed up his thumb he's not gonna be able to play in this um, which means William Contreras will probably leap him um, in terms of actually playing in the game or they'll pick somebody like the coaches pick somebody and that's kind of something that they do. So we'll see what happens there. A couple league leaders in uh, in the MLB so far and we'll get to uh, odds on favorites to win some of the awards in a second. But uh, just looking at the actual league leaders uh, in the American League, league leader in average right now, Luis Arias of Minnesota. He's hitting 348 on the season, almost 350. A great season so far for him. Uh, in second place, Rafael Devers, who's hitting 327, and Xander Bogarts behind him, also of the Red Sox, is hitting 318 uh, in home runs. Aaron Judge is leading the way with 29 so far for the Yankees. Jordan Alvarez of the Astros with 24, and Mike Trout in third place with 23 home runs. RBIs, Jose Ramirez leads the league, or leads the American League, excuse me, in RBIs with 63, Aaron Judge with 59, and then Jordan Alvarez with 57. Hits, total hits. Rafael Devers leads the way in that with 104. Luis Arias of the Twins with 93. And then Andrew Benatendi of the Royals with 91. Stolen bases, Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners with 20. Jorge Mateo of uh, Baltimore with 19. And Randy Arozarena of the Rays with 18. And then pitching leaders for the American League. Uh, American League wins right now. The leader, Justin Verlander, followed by Alec Manoa with nine. Shane McClanahan with nine. Logan Gilbert with nine. And Jamison Tyon with nine as well. But Verlander leading the way of the Astros with 10. ERA in the American League. Shane McClanahan with 1.74 ERA. Justin Verlander behind him with a 2.03. And Alec Manoa of Toronto with a 2.33. The saves leaders in the American League. Emmanuel Classe with 19. Ryan Presley with 17. And Jordan Romano with 17 for the Blue Jays as well. And then strikeout leaders. 
Shane McClanahan with 133 so far. Dylan Cease of the White Sox with 125. And then Garrett Cole with 117. And Robbie Ray with 117 as well. And then quality starts. Framber Valdez of the Astros has 14. Alec Manoa of Toronto has 13. And Martin Perez has 12 in the American League. So those are your leaders for the American League. Moving over to the National League. Paul Goldschmidt leading the way in average with a 340 average. He's way ahead of second place. Josh Bell in second place with 318. Jeff McNeil of the Mets with the 318. Manny Machado with the 318. Bryce Harper with the 318 as well. Uh, home run leaders, Kyle Schwarber leading the way in the NL. Philadelphia, 23 home runs. Pete Alonzo with 22 home runs for the Mets. And then Christian Walker of the Diamondbacks with 21 on the season so far. RBI leaders, Pete Alonzo with 69. Uh, nice Paul Goldschmidt with 65 and then CJ Crone with 65 and then Trey Turner with 59 hits total hits Paul Goldschmidt with 101 Trey Turner with 99 and then Freddie Freeman with 94 stolen bases uh, John Birdie of Miami 25 stolen bases Tommy Edmond of St. Louis with 19 and then Trey Turner with 16 and then moving over to pitching for National League Tony Gonsolin of the Dodgers or excuse me, he's leading the league in wins. Tony Gonsolin is leading the league in wins. And then it goes Kyle Wright with nine, Carlos Carrasco with nine, Tyler Anderson with nine, all tied for second place. And then Sandy Alcantara with eight in the wins later. Tony Gonsolin is leading the league in ERA, uh, the league as well as the National League in ERA with a 1.54 ERA. Uh, Sandy Alcantara right behind him with a 1.95 ERA. And Joe Musgrove of the Padres with a 2.25 ERA. Saves leaders, Josh Hader of the Brewers with 25 saves, Taylor Rogers of the Padres with 23 saves, and Kenley Jansen in the uh, in Atlanta with 20 saves in third place. Corbin Burns leads, leads the National League in strikeouts with 124. Aaron Nola has 117, and Carlos Rodon of the Giants has 112. And then quality start leaders, Joe Musgrove with 13, Max Freed with 12, Sandy Alcantara with 12, Corbin Burns with 12, all tied for second place. And then third place, you Darvish with 11. So those are your leaders for the league leaders, your league leaders at the halfway point, give or take with some teams uh, of the season. And um, the all-star break is coming up here pretty soon. So that's right around the corner. The weekend of the 15th, I believe, with the home run derby on the 18th. And then the actual game itself, I believe, is on the 19th, if I remember correctly, something like that, 19th or the 20th. So that's coming up soon. And all-star break, I will say, MLB has the best um, all-star weekend of any other major sport. I think it beats hockey. And mainly, mainly they're like, fun side things, mainly the home run derby. Who doesn't love the home run derby? It's it's more fun to watch than the actual all-star game. Let me just say that. And uh home run derby is incredible. And we don't have lit we don't have te- we don't have players this year for who's going to play in the home run derby. But um I'd imagine Pete Alonso is probably going to do it again just because he wants to defend the title. Maybe not though, because I think I remember him saying he didn't want to do anymore. I think he said that was the last one. But hopefully not. Pete Alonso's back. It's always fun to see him rock home runs for like three hours. It's always fun to watch. So that's coming up soon. Here in about two weeks. Okay, now we have uh, odds for our picks for the um, MLB uh, awards, if you will. Um, twenty twenty two MLB NL MVP odds right now leading the way. Paul Goldschmidt plus a hundred. This is as of July fifth, so the day of recording this. Paul Goldschmidt a plus a hundred. This is according to Vegas Insider. Goldschmidt plus 100, Pete Alonso plus 500, then Manny Machado at plus 550. That's your top three. And then a pretty big gap to fourth, which is Mookie Betts at plus 1,200. For AL MVP, Aaron Judge, the odds-on favorite, minus 110. You don't even get plus odds for him anymore. 
He's at minus 110, followed by Shohei Otani, who's at plus 260, Mike Trout at plus 800, and then Jordan Alvarez at plus 800 as well, and then a pretty steep gap to Rafael Devers at plus 1,600. For Cy Young, the 2022 NL Cy Young odds, Sandy Alcantara is the leader for the NL, plus 185, and then it's Joe Musgrove at plus 500, and Corbin Burns at plus 500, and then a drop-off for plus 1,100 for Tony Gonsolin. That might not be a terrible bet, to be honest with you. Tony Gonsolin, he has not lost yet this season, and he's the league leader in ERA. Not a terrible idea there, to be honest. I'm not giving you betting advice, just interesting odds at plus 1,100 for the league leader in ML, or in uh, ERA and um, and wins as well. So maybe something to take a look at. Uh, also, 2022 AL Cy Young leaders, uh, odds leaders, Shane McClanahan at plus 250, Justin Verlander at plus 275, and then Garrett Cole at plus 800. And then uh, fourth place, plus 1,200 for Alec Manoa, and then Shohei Otani at plus 1,200 as well. So top two are Shane McClanahan and Justin Verlander, and then it's a pretty steep gap to Garrett Cole at plus 800. And then finally, for Rookie of the Year odds, we've got 2022 NL Rookie of the Year odds, O'Neill Cruz of the Pirates at plus 375, Michael Harris at plus 375, and then Spencer Strider at plus 450, Mackenzie Gore at plus 600, and then plus 1,000 is Nolan Gorman. So pretty even, I would say, O'Neill Cruz, Michael Harris, the two leaders, obviously, and then Spencer Strider could come up and be a, a pretty decent pick as well. But... Um, Pretty even throughout there. And then AL Rookie of the Year, it's kind of being run away with. Julio Rodriguez, definitely the favorite to win Rookie of the Year in the AL at minus 225. And then it's Jeremy Pena of the Astros at plus 600. Bobby Witt Jr. at plus 600. And then a big steep gap to Adley Rutschman, who's at plus 1,800. So those are the awards. Those are the awards odds as of July 5th. We'll see what happens. That Tony Gonsolin, I might take a peek at that, to be honest with you. I didn't even realize that until I read it right to you. So... Maybe something to take a nice little peeky-weeky at. We'll see what happens there. Okay, now moving on. Here we go. Sorry, MLB took a little time. You know, at the halfway point, I felt like talking to MLB. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the conference realignment that we got going on over in the NCAA. It's kind of a whole cluster. I mean, it's really... There's going to be teams playing teams that you were like, when did this happen? I really don't think you're going to be very... If you're not paying attention to... Uh, the way the NCAA is kind of changing. I mean, it's not even the NCAA. It's their own. I mean, like the the, the conferences themselves are their own their own entity. So, um, and then the the teams within those uh, those conferences are their own ent- entity as well. Um, so the big one that happened this past week was UC USC and UCLA defecting to the Big Ten of all places. I didn't get it and didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, to be honest with you. Um, when Oklahoma and Texas announced that they were moving to the SEC, it at least made a little bit of sense. The, the traveling wasn't that different. You know, the the weather and that sort of thing, if that makes sense, wouldn't be that drastic of a change. But now you're talking the University of Southern California and the University of uh, Central Los Angeles. Is that their name? University of Central Los Angeles. I think that's right. I I. I never thought about that. I think that's right, though. But whatever. Those two teams, they're going to be traveling to Ohio State and Michigan in November. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It's a lot longer. It's a lot longer travel. Um, and, and this is kind of the new age of college football now. It's kind of become its own beast. I mean, they're they're kind of saying the quiet part out loud more so than ever. The conferences really... We've really taken a steep drop off, drop off in terms of how important 
conferences really are, given the amount of uh, the amount of importance that we've given to the idea of a national championship. Conference championships do not matter at all anymore, just based on how important the national championship is, just based on money and stuff like that. It just doesn't matter anymore. That sort of thing is not something that matters. If they could make a super league for these college football teams, they absolutely would. And I wouldn't be surprised if the college football kind of just said, look, we're going to do our own thing, okay? We're not going to be part of a conference. We're going to do our own thing. We're just going to be the NFL superlative. We're going to be the double A and the triple A of the NFL. That wouldn't surprise me. I would not be surprised if that was something that happened down the line just because of the direction that it's going. NFL or the NCAA, the football teams of these of these uh, of these programs are the money makers, and it's not going to be too far down the road where the football program is just going to say, "We're going to make our own money." I mean, we already print it basically by ourselves. Why don't we just make our own separate entity of a football program? I mean, that doesn't seem that far away, to be honest with you. Uh, especially now with the. Uh, with the NIL as well, which, you know, I have no problem with NIL could use, could it use a little, uh, could it use a little, a little regulation? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. It is completely the wild, wild west out there. I have no problem with a little bit of regulation, but now this is the problem that the NCAA let happen. I mean, they built this problem hundred percent. Everybody was doing the deals under the table before. And now that they're just letting everybody do it everywhere, they're not going to want to go back to that. No, why would they? They're not going to want to listen to regulation from the NCAA about how to handle this stuff. They were doing that for years. And now that it's the wild, wild west. And these guys are just buying players. These teams are just buying players. Basically. Why would they go back to that? There's no reason to. There's no reason to think that any of these universities would comply to a uh, regulation from the NCAA when it comes to their football teams regarding NIL deals or anything like that. There's no reason to think that that would go by cleanly for these any of these teams, especially if they start struggling after that happens. There's no way it would not happen. Um, so now they're really in a tough spot, and I'll be interested to see what happens. And this is kind of the beginning of that, I would say. Now we're just kind of forming, instead of having... Sticking to conferences, these universities are just going to wherever the TV rights are going to make them the most money. Pac-12 for the USC, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Money-wise, USC is going to be one of the most, um, it already is one of the most profitable universities in terms of football that there is. They make a ton of money, and rightfully so. I mean, they're a historic franchise, or a historic, uh, a historic university, or historic football program, always have been. Um, UCLA a little less so that one was a little more surprising to me to be honest with you um, but USC definitely but it doesn't make it sense to me in terms of the locale um, traveling to Michigan and Ohio State from USC one it's a long trip that's a very long plane ride to Michigan slash Ohio State or wherever you want to talk about Rutgers for God's sakes or anything like that Illinois for God's sakes Northwestern um, those are all very long trips and in the middle of November, December, I don't know if that, uh, that pans out well, I think for the California teams, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you're basically telling these guys to practice in, you know, 75 degree weather in the middle of Southern California for four to five days of the week. And then you're traveling to Northwestern where it's going to be 25 degrees and snowing. Um, 
for their game. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That's kind of the thing that makes the Big Ten different is they they play in these types of conditions and they practice in these types of conditions. That's the Big Ten. That's their big mantra. We're the northern schools. That's what makes us different. We play in the snow. We don't have a problem with that. We don't have any, any, we don't, we play with sunshine in September and the, the ending of September and then it's gone. And then October and November are slugfests in the middle of 30 degree weather. I don't know if that'll pan out very well for USC. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me or UCLA. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, and then you got the travel to worry about. And then, you know, cold teams can always play well in warm areas. Warm teams can't always play well in cold areas. That's kind of been something that I've been thinking about, and it doesn't, you know, doesn't make a lot of sense. Not to mention the the travel for the other the other sports. So is this Pac-12 moving over to the Big Ten? Is this going to affect uh, women's volleyball as well, or men's baseball as well? That sort of thing, because they don't have the same budget that men's football that football does. Same thing with basketball. Uh, it does, they don't have the budget that USC's football team does, and they never have, and they more than likely never will. So I don't get how they get around that obstacle in terms of the travel and the lodging and all that stuff, um, taking those trips all the time. And for basketball and for baseball and whatever else, it becomes a much bigger problem because of that, um, because you're traveling more often than you are in football. So I don't get it. I don't know what they're going to do. I have no idea what they're going to do, but this feels like the first step in a major process to kind of make football, college football, its own thing. They're just going to be, they're going to make a super league or whatever of the biggest college football teams in the league or in the, in the country and make its own league. And then it's just going to be the NCAA or the NFL, but a tier lower. That's kind of where it feels like we're going. And it's unfortunate. Um, I like the diversity of college football that's what makes it fun to me. Um, there is a super league to me. It doesn't, you know, it's not as attractive as the diversity that we get. So, you know, if we make a super league, we don't get to see the Kansases beating the Texases anymore because Kansas is never, Texas is never going to agree to play Kansas because there's no monetary value to playing Kansas. The only monetary value is Kansas going and playing Texas. That's it. Texas gets nothing out of that. There's no reason to think that they would schedule a Kansas opponent other than like a tune-up game at the beginning of the year. And maybe we'll get those, but it's not going to be very often. And then it's just going to be a slugfest for the rest of the year where it's not as interesting. And it's more like um, the NFL where they're all kind of on the same, like the difference between being great and being, you know, very average in that league is very, is, is a lot more minuscule and the upsets aren't as prominent in a league like the NFL where it is in college football. And it, to me, that makes it more interesting and more fun to watch. So that's my two cents. Another thing that's actually happening right now as we talk, as I record this podcast, uh, the Big 12 is involved. And, uh, you know, it looks like Pac-12 is kind of just flooding the rest of their teams like they're going to basically uh, dissolve into every other conference. The Big 12 is involved in deep discussions to add multiple Pac-12 programs as a way to shore up its membership in the wake of the USC and UCLA defection to the Big Ten. This is according to CBS Sports. Um, At least four teams are being considered with the potential for the Big 12 to add more as realignment continues to shake out. Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah were mentioned specifically as the teams being targeted by the Big 12, sources tell CBS Sports. There's also a consideration of adding Oregon and Washington to make the Big 12 an 18-team league, the largest in the FBS. 
and a merger of the Big 12 and the Pac-12 in some form is also a possibility. And uh, everything is on the table, in quotes, said one Big 12 source. So, I don't know. I mean, it's it's certainly looking the way that I think it's looking where we're just going to have a few huge, uh, huge conferences, mega conferences, if you will. And then, uh, yeah, it's just not going to be, it's not, I mean, it already isn't the same college football that we're used to seeing, and it's not going to be the same old college football anymore. It's not going to be that anymore. Ever since NIL opened up the floodgates and we started the college football programs started seeing the monetary value that is there with college football. It's not going to change. I mean, it's never going to go back to what it was. They're not on the same, the same path as, you know, college basketball or college baseball. They're not the same. I mean, the college football teams and they see that the college football teams know that they are the money makers at these universities. So they're not going to follow the same rules that these other, you know, uh, these other programs do and they shouldn't personally in my opinion because they make all the money for those universities it totally makes sense what they're doing they're holding universities hostage is a bad word but i mean kind of hostage in these situations there, there's nothing that the universities can really do in this situation because what are you going to do cut the football program and lose you know millions and millions of dollars for these teams no way no way so the big horn so the so the college football teams are going to do whatever they want and that's how it works that's how we're working now uh, an interesting stat I will say, um, if the college football realignment does follow through with the teams that I just said moving over to the Big 12, and if Oklahoma and Texas do leave and go over to um, the uh, SEC, then Colorado, the Colorado Buffalo, Buffaloes, Colorado Buffaloes, they will have the most Big 12 championships <laughs> of any of the Big 12 teams that would be making or staying in the Big 12. That includes all the actual teams that are in the Big 12 right now. They would have more than every other, than the Colorado would have more than Kansas State, you know, Oklahoma State, whatever. They would have more than all those teams, obviously, other than Texas and Oklahoma. But if Texas and Oklahoma don't stay, go to the SEC, then Colorado, moving over from the Pac-12 to the Big 12, would have more Big 12 titles than any of the other teams that are staying in the Big 12. Interesting stat. Because as most of you know, Colorado left the Big 12 10 years ago, 15 years ago, something like that, to go play in the Pac-12. But before then, they were in the Big 8 slash Big 12, and they won, I think, four conference championships in that that time, something like that. And uh, if they were to come back to the Big 12, they would have the most of the teams that are staying in the Big 12 or being moved to to the Big 12. So there you go. A little stat to wrap up the podcast. A little interesting tidbit. And uh, yeah, that's going to wrap it up. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to me rant. That's kind of the point of the podcast. But regardless, thank you very much anyways. Um, Make sure you like and subscribe. Um, Give me a rating if you wouldn't mind. I said like and subscribe. We're like we're on YouTube. We're not. Wherever you get your podcasts, please give me a rating or a a subscription. You know, five-star rating. That'd be great. Puts me kind of in the trending section. Uh, That's huge for me. So I'd really appreciate that. Uh, And yeah, you've been listening to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I've been your host, James Timberlake.